Walters is excited to announce we'll be having live music this coming Tuesday, August 17th. Join us on our streetery for our very own Jack McGowan before the game Tuesday night. Walters will also be celebrating Nat's night out at the ballpark with the tasting of some fresh new beers from D.C.'s only LGBT-owned brewery. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Our first pitch thrown at 10:17 Eastern Time of the nation's capital. Two and two on Freeman. The wind and the pitch. Swing and a miss. Struck him out. Elevated fastball. Climbed the ladder on him at 97 miles an hour. And it's a one-two-three inning for Josiah Gray as he blows away Freddie Freeman. Gray rocks, kicks, delivers. Breaking ball in there. Strike three called. So two strikeouts in the first, two strikeouts in the second inning for right-hander Josiah Gray. The 2-2. Swing a long drive right center field. This one is blasted. It's way back there, and it is gone. Over the National League out-of-town scoreboard, Austin Riley gives the Braves their first lead with his 24th home run. And the Braves, on three solo homers, now lead 3-2. Hello and welcome into another edition of the Nats Chat Podcast. I'm Tim Shovers, filling in for Al Galdi alongside Mark Zuckerman. My evening started out at Navy Yard with some buddies. We all had on various forms of Nats Chat shirts. My friend got his tickets in his office's luxury suite behind home plate. Josiah Gray against the Atlanta Braves. All was well, except one problem. No game at 7.05. Lightning in the area. Fast forward three hours later, and I'm on my couch by myself for the 10.17 p.m. first pitch. I said to Al, go to bed. I got you for tonight. He'll be back this weekend. Mark, however, not so lucky. Mark, how'd you keep yourself occupied during that three-hour-plus delay? Well, first of all, Al definitely deserved this one off, Tim, and I did not because I, of course, took Thursday off and got to miss a doubleheader. So, no complaints from me about this. I was willing to suck it up and, and go through this one. Rain delays are tough, uh, especially late night ones when you just know, okay, we've reached a point here where they're not going to keep us around this long unless they think they're going to play. That was sort of the realization at some point. So I thought, okay, it's going to be a long night. You try to get some work done. You work ahead. I you know, got to catch up with some of my friends from the Braves beat who I haven't seen in a while. You know a lot of them as well. It's, it's good to see them all. I went up to the booth, saw Bob and FP and Alex who were there. We had some fun with them for a while, reminiscing. Bob was looking up the game in 2006 against the Phillies that didn't start till 11.30 p.m. and ended after 2 a.m. We were remembering that one, so this wasn't quite that bad. 
you find a way, just like everyone else, you find a way to keep yourself occupied and then hope that you stay awake enough during the game and uh, hope the game's interesting enough to get you through it. Well, this game was interesting. Uh, yet again, the Nats brought the tying run to the plate, as is now his tradition in August. Uh, we'll get to all that, but we're going to start with Josiah Gray, and it was his third start for the Nats, his second one in D.C., and we'll start with the good and we'll get to the bad the good, Mark, what did you see from Gray tonight? He dazzled early. He had five Ks in the first three innings, a lot of swinging strikes, a lot of Braves hitters you know, swinging and missing. Tell me what you saw from the right-hander in the first few innings. So what I saw were some similarities to the last one, but what stood out to me that, that was maybe a little different this time is, remember the last start we talked about how great his curveball was? That was all the swings and misses were coming on curveballs. He had a better fastball in this one. Went 97 upstairs to get Freddie Freeman. In the first inning, that's, I think, the hardest pitch we've seen him throw so far. That was good. The fastball seemed to have more life on it than it did before, and I think he was relying on it a little bit more. And those first four innings, I mean, were as good as it gets. was 46 pitches, 32 strikes. And at that point, after four, that meant it was nine innings that he's faced the Braves over the last week in which he had given up one earned run, struck out 15, and walked two, and one of the two walks was intentional. So that's against a good lineup with some good hitters, and he was consistently showing he can get them out. When you're facing the same lineup the second time in a week, especially for a young guy, you learn a lot about him. Is the stuff good enough? Can you make the adjustments? Are they going to adjust to you? And what I saw was really impressive. Now, after that, got victimized by the solo home run. We'll get to that here. But the stuff was still there. The poise was there. The ability to get good hitters out multiple times, you know, counting last start and this one. I know the result isn't what people want. I know he was a little disappointed by that. But really, in the big picture, everyone, it's hard not to be impressed with this guy. He looks like the real deal. Long way to go. A lot of things still have to happen. He's, he's not a finished product yet. He's got a long way to go. But what we've seen so far, given his age, lack of experience and everything else, it is hard not to be impressed with Josiah Gray. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm really impressed by him to the point where I say this with a straight face. I think he's the ace of the staff already, in, in all honesty. <laughs> You've now seen him in person twice, and I'm always impressed by your ability to sort of read pitches, not one of my strengths. Do you have a feel for what his go-to out pitch is when he has two strikes? I think it is the curveball, and it was so good last time in Atlanta, and he, and he did go to it in this start. It got him a little bit there late. The home runs, one of them was on a curveball, one of them was on a slider, which looks a lot like the curveball. My hunch is that that is what he is going to when he really needs a big pitch late. And I thought it was interesting, Davey Martinez also said afterwards that by the time you get to that sixth inning, seventh inning, you're facing hitters the third time through, and it's the same hitters that you already faced two or three times a week ago. You get to that point, and now you've got to decide, do they know what I'm going to throw, and so I need to change it up? Or do you stick with what you know works best for you, and don't worry as much about them? Uh, yeah, as we know, as you start knowing hitters, You'll know, you know what pitches to, to really hone in on and what they, what they like. And these are all things that pitchers figure out over time. And he made a few mistakes. He left some pitches over the zone and he got burned by it. But he's certainly not the first that's ever happened to it. It's funny. People were making this joke to me on Twitter, and I have to say I agree with it. He kind of looked like Max Scherzer, <laughs> you know, the end result. <laughs> a lot of solo homers, a lot of strikeouts, good pitch. I mean, he, he looked great. But he was done in by some solo homers, especially late in the start. If that ultimately is who he is, I don't think anybody's going to complain too much about Josiah Gray. Well, let's go through the solo homers now. So he was staked to a 2 nothing lead after the first inning, and that was it for the Nats offense for the night. But you could really, to me, you could tell the story of Josiah Gray's outing through his 
at bats against Ozzie Albies, who was the leadoff hitter for Atlanta. He struck him out the first two times, including embarrassing him the second time he faced Albies. Swing and a miss. He got him on a curveball. Second time that Albies fans on the deuce. And that is strikeout number five through three innings for Josiah Gray. He works around his first hit. But the third time, Albies got him and hit a solo homer to tie the game up. And then Austin Riley, in the seventh inning, hit the go-ahead home run. And that was ultimately the difference as the Nats no longer scored. I do want to ask you about the decision to bring him back out to the seventh. But for Nats fans who are upset seeing all those solo homers, either talk him off the ledge or sort of explain why you think the game turned on a dime for him. Was it facing the, the Atlanta Braves for the third time or was it something else? You know, I think it was, yeah, they're starting to get a sense of him. And I was talking about Davey saying that he he was, you know, interested in what pitches he would choose by the time you get to that. So he's facing Albies now for like the sixth time in a week. He had struck him out on curveballs the first two times up. So what's he throw? First pitch to Albies in the sixth, first pitch curveball. He kind of hung it a little bit and Albies was ready for it. That's that, you know, mind game as a pitcher. You have to decide, am I sticking with my strength? Or am I saying, you know what, he probably knows that I'm feeling real good about my curveball. That's what I've got him out on. He may be looking for it to ambush it on the first pitch. And so those are all those little things that he'll figure out. Let's remember, too, he's working with a young catcher in Trace Barrera, who's still learning a lot of these things as well. If Jan Gomes is catching, it might be a little different story. So these are the growing pains that you're going to get. It's hard to get too upset by it, but I think you do learn something there. And I think it's an important lesson for Gray and for Barrera to figure out, okay, we got him with curveballs in the past. He's probably going to be looking for another one here. So let's be careful. If you throw it, make sure you're not just putting it right on a platter for him. Now, the decision to send him back to the seventh, I was surprised. I kind of thought he'd be done. They've been very careful with him because of his lack of workload this year. He had an injury earlier. He's only been a pitcher for a few years full time. So they have been careful with him. But the pitch count was so low. It was only 77 through six innings that I think they figured, all right, let, let's push it a little bit. And here's another example of let's see how he handles it. These are the situations that they're going to be putting a lot of these young guys in, starters and relievers. Let's see how he handles it now. Well, comes out, gives up the leadoff homer, infield single, and that's it for him. So I think it's a very different story three weeks ago of how Davey Martinez would manage that versus how he did in this case. And again, the end result is not what you want it to be, but I think they probably learned something from this. And now Josiah, the next time around, might have a better sense of how to handle that kind of situation. Yeah, it's just a bummer to see him have to get tagged with the loss because he didn't really he didn't pitch like he deserved it, and especially given that two nothing lead. But those are the breaks of the game. That chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch beer at Nationals Park. Beyond the Gnome World, one of Silver Branch's four flagship beers is available at District Drafts at Section 223. Brewed to be light and refreshing, Beyond the Gnome World won a gold medal for the Saison beer style at the Great American Beer Festival last year. Beyond the Gnome World is deliciously dry and thirst-quenching and the perfect beer for hot summertime ball games. You may not be familiar with Saison, but take our word for it, baseball season is the perfect season. For Saison and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park. And make sure you stop by Silver Branch, located in Metro Plaza, just steps 
from the Silver Spring Metro, Silver Branch Brewing Company. When you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. One ball, two strikes with two on. Here it comes. Fastball, line drive to shallow left. That's going to fall in for a hit. Trying to score is Bell. Duvall with a great arm. Fires home on one bounce. Bell slides. He's got nowhere to go. He's tagged out by plenty. Let's now get to the offensive side of the evening. And a lot of men left on base for the Nats. Nine of them overall. Three for 13 with runners in scoring position. Three of the final four innings marked. They had two on, no out, and they came up empty Every single time. I know we've had this sort of discussion since April, seemingly, uh, with the Nationals this year, but this was just a really rough night at the plate. What were some of your takeaways from really those missed opportunities in the sixth, seventh, and ninth inning? Well, all right. So the sixth was a classic example of they get guys on base against Charlie Morton, who's kind of starting to fade, and then a couple of inexperienced hitters, Yadiel Hernandez, who's not young but he is inexperienced as far as big leagues. And Carter Keboom, young and inexperienced. And the veteran kind of had his way with them. Uh, at that point, Charlie Morton knew what he was doing. He got him to chase uh, some curveballs. That's his bread and butter pitch. And you saw the result. Strikeout looking at Hernandez, strikeout swinging for Keboom. That ends that rally. The seventh inning was the fluky one that you said, boy, they deserved better. They hit some balls hard. Robles crushed one right back up the box, went off the pitcher, Richard Rodriguez's foot, deflected directly to the fielder. They get one out on that one. And then Escobar hit a rocket to shortstop that Dan Swanson made a nice play on. He fires. Swinging a line drive to short and a diving catch by Dansby Swanson. Side retired. And the Braves flash leather or foot in the inning. Nationals hit in very tough luck. So, I mean, that's a classic case of a couple inches in another direction. It may be a totally different story. So that one is it's hard to get upset with that one. And then the ninth, you know, this is what they do. Like we say, the boys are going to battle. They're going to bring the tying run to the plate. They even brought the winning run to the plate in this one. And the winning run came in the form of a guy by the name of Ryan Zimmerman. 
And I've covered his whole career. I know his track record in these situations. And every time it happens in the ninth, I quickly look it up to make sure I have the numbers right in case he does come through. And the numbers, for those who don't know, he's hit 11 walk-off home runs in his career. The all-time record is 13 by Jim Tomey. Uh, a few other guys, I think three or four of them had 12, including Frank Robinson. So I'm always prepared with that number. I'm, I've got it ready to go in case Zim connects on one. And I had a little bit of a hunch. It, I don't remember the number, but of those 11, it's like four or five of them came after midnight <laughs> for whatever reason. He has a history of doing these things. And so I was kind of mentally prepared for it to happen. And then it didn't happen, obviously. And they end up stranding both runners on base. Smith kicks. He delivers. Zimmerman swings and misses and a slider to strike out. If this is it for Zim, and we don't know for sure, but if this is it for him, it'd be nice if he gets one more walk-off home before it's over. That would be a pretty cool moment. When's the last one? I'm feeling it hasn't been since 2014 or 15. It was 2018, but uh, that's, okay. the only, that's the only one in a while. That one was the first one in several years, and he hasn't had one since. So, yeah, there was a point. He was on 10 for a long time and was, like, you know, still really young with a lot of future ahead of him and thinking he might challenge that all-time record, and it just hasn't happened as much here lately. But it's going to be one of his legacies whenever he is done. Uh, Mr. Walkoff, he, he is one of the best ever in those situations. He did a lot more when he was younger, obviously, but he still has that knack for just letting those moments not become too big. He always talks about when he gets in that spot, the pressure's not on me, the pressure's on the pitcher. And he's been, he's excelled at that throughout his career. And, you know, maybe he hasn't done it as many times here lately as he's gotten older, but I think it'd be pretty cool if he could do it at least one more time before this season is over. That would be a really special moment if it happens. A few offensive notes. Keeboom had two crucial strikeouts in the sixth and then also to end the eighth with one, one runner on. Victor Robles, you mentioned, had some hard luck late in the game. Early on the game, had his 20th double of the year, which is one of the sneakiest statistics in the National League that you'll find this season. Juan Soto had two hits. For a guy that's not getting too many pitches, I think anytime he has a multi-hit game, uh, it's worth pointing out. One more thing on the offense, Mark, and that came in the fourth inning where Josh Bell was thrown out the plate and was thrown out comfortably by at least three feet. And Trace Barrera was in the on-deck circle. And that, to me, was the most disappointing part of the, of the send by Bobby Henley was, you know, it wasn't the pitcher was coming up. It was an eighth hitter coming up. It wasn't Josiah Gray. And that, to me, was just, was just a really poor decision by Henley. Yeah, I didn't like that one. That's one of those as you're watching it. And this is one advantage of being so high up in the press box. You see the entire play develop in front of you. And that's one where the the left fielder had the ball before he even stepped on third base. That's usually a no-no. Unless it's somebody that you just know has a really bad arm. And I know that Adam Duvall is not known for his arm. But that was a case where it wasn't even going to require a perfect throw to get him out. Like if it's going to require a perfect throw, yeah, you take the chance. It was just going to require a decent throw. And he wound up making a perfect throw, which meant that Bell was out by like 15 feet. There was nowhere for him to even attempt to slide. He, he winds up going way inside the baseline and slides. And he didn't even come close to the plate because there was nowhere for him to go at that point because Travis Darno had the ball. And again, for those who don't remember this, the rule about blocking the plate, you can't block the plate before you have the ball. But once you have it, it's fair game. And Darno had the ball with so much time to spare that he was able just to completely get in the way. And Josh Bell had nowhere to go. So that one was disappointing. You'd like to give Barrera a chance to drive him in. And in general, I'm okay with being aggressive and taking a shot at things. But the situation in this one didn't feel like it was called for. And it felt like it was going to be a very simple play by the Braves to throw him out. And it turned out that it was. 
Travis Darno has missed almost the entire season. So if you're wondering if, if he where's that name has been, yes, he's been gone. He missed over 80 games, hit the first home run of the game of the night off Gray. So uh, he made his presence felt. One quick Braves question for you. Dansby Swanson had a heck of a night. He had a solo homer and also made a couple web gems, including one where he robbed Escobar. To me, Mark, I think he has become an elite shortstop. Do you feel the same way? You've been seeing him 19 times a year his entire career. Yeah, the last, I'd say, two years, it feels like he's finally stepped up. There was a point early on when he looked lost. He he looked, for lack of a better comparison, kind of like Carter Keboom. Yep. In that here is a number one overall pick in the country who just did not look ready to face big league pitching. And they stuck with him. Obviously, it's worked out and he's turned into something. And it is a reminder that sometimes it, it takes time. Not everyone develops at the same pace. I'm not saying Carter Keboom is going to turn into Dansby Swanson. But it does remind you that it can happen like that. And at a time when there are a lot of elite shortstops right now in baseball, I'd probably put him in that second class. I don't think he's in the first, you know, Trey Turner class, as it were. But he's on the right track. And certainly what we've seen from him, I would say the last two years, suggests that he is finally realizing his full potential. Tickets for the remainder of the 2021 Fredericksburg National season are on sale now. They have promotions for every night of the week, like $2 Tuesdays, Thirsty Thursdays, Firework Fridays, and Giveaway Sundays. If you can't make it to the game in person, you can listen to a free online radio broadcast on the Fred Nats Baseball Network or watch a live video stream with a subscription to MILB.TV. Stop by the box office or visit FredNats.com for ticket information and see the future stars of the Washington Nationals today. Short lead by Sebi. The pitch is hit in the air. Deep to right. That ball is gone. White Sox win. The field of dreams. Nine eight the final. Light it up. Saturday night, game two of this series, Patrick Corbin yet again faces the Braves. He took the loss on Sunday. Uh, six o'clock game. They moved that up because of fireworks. Do you think that the fireworks played had anything to do with them making sure they get the game in on Friday night because they didn't want to do a doubleheader and push back things on Saturday? Or do you think I'm totally overthinking it? Uh, the conspiracy theorist in me says yes, but the realist in me says it had more to do with the forecast for Saturday, which is not good either. I think they were nervous about trying to schedule two games and thinking that they're both going to get in. Even with only one game scheduled, it may be tough to get that one in on time and get the fireworks in because there is the curfew for that. We'll have to see how that plays out. I think it had more to do with that than anything. It's frustrating. Nobody wants to be sitting around like that, but it's their last trip to town. The forecast tomorrow is bad. You know, obviously at this point, these games are important for the Braves and you can't start, you know, saying, well, we'll just make it up later if we need it. You you can't really do that at this point. So they had to stick it out. I think everybody knew it was going to stop raining eventually, and once it did, they'd be good. It just took a lot longer than everyone hoped it would. And before we go, this is a non-Nationals note, but on Thursday night, this happened after we had taped our podcast following the doubleheader sweep in New York, was the highest-rated regular season game for baseball in 16 years. The Field of Dreams game, White Sox-Yankees, it was one of the coolest things I've seen. Tim Anderson walk off home run. Mark, it was your birthday. Uh, you were watching the game. I saw you tweeting about it. Just I want to know what your takeaways were and what your thoughts were on the Field of Dreams game. So, you know, let's start by by saying I am absolutely a sucker for Field of Dreams in general. I always have been since I first saw it when I was about 13 years old. I love the movie. 
I cannot get through the final scene without getting emotional. It's a, a it's a legitimate thing. It's it's about playing catch with your dad, playing catch, not having a catch, by the way, if we want to have that debate. And something that I you know now share with my son, being able to have that father and son playing catch. And so for me, it has always been a really special movie. And I know it's not for everyone. That's okay. It doesn't have to be for everyone. It's one of those movies that you either absolutely love or you just don't get it and you're not going to get it. And that's fine. That's fine. So I've been really excited for a couple of years now since they've talked about doing this game to see it in action. And it did not disappoint. And I mean, it felt like to me between the way they built the stadium right there next to the field from the movie, the way they had Kevin Costner come out and introduce it, the way the players emerged from the corn, the way the sunset behind the field with the purples and the orange. I mean, it was it was perfect. And then on top of all that, the way the game ended like that in dramatic fashion, they basically turned a regular season baseball game into a movie and it worked. It was brilliant. It was absolutely amazing. It was everything you could want it to be. And so I loved it. Again, I know why not everyone maybe felt that way about it. But enough people felt that way about it to, like you said, provide the best ratings for a regular season baseball game since 2005. And that's why they are definitely going to do this again next year and perhaps into the future. Well, I'll get your thoughts on it and then we'll talk about the future and whether we think they should do it again. I loved it. I, I thought, first off, that the way they pulled off the pregame with the players coming out of the cornfield was so cool. And everyone who looked at the stadium looked like they were having the best time. The jerseys were fantastic. It was just, it was just a special night of baseball. Obviously, you know, if I'm working on this podcast, you know how much I love baseball. But to me, baseball's top moments, its top moments cannot be topped by any other sport. And when it, when, it, when everything clicks, there's just nothing like it. And I thought that it was one of those special evenings that just no one else can have. And so I loved every second of it. And, I, and I'll say this. I want to know if you agree with me on this, Mark. I hope the White Sox keep wearing these jerseys this year. I mean, this team legitimately could win the World Series. And to have an evening like that, it's, it almost feels like it's in, you know, the, the baseball gods are screaming at them to keep the, the momentum going in the September and October. I'll tell you what, the White Sox might have the best full set of uniforms in baseball because they're all good. They wear oh. throwbacks, like the 80s throwbacks, their standard uniforms, these 1919 throwbacks. They've got a great set of uniforms, and I agree. They, they look... I mean, Lance Lynn looked perfect in that uniform on them. He looked like he should have been in the movie, right? He just, he had the whole thing going. No, it was fantastic. Now, here's the thing now. Would it feel the same if they do it again next year? Which uh, Rob Manfred said they're definitely doing it another year. And my money is on the Cubs and the Cardinals being the two teams in that game. We'll see. But that that would be my guess is, is who they'd pick for it. Will it still feel the same? Will it wear off at all? Is it something they should do every year and keep inviting new teams? Is it something they should do on and off? I worry a little bit. So it reminds me of the Winter Classic in hockey. I know you're not a big hockey guy, but I love the Winter Classic. And I think it's such a great idea to play outdoor hockey in the elements in different stadiums and environments that you wouldn't normally get to see it. And what that does is it gets people who are not hardcore hockey fans to tune in on New Year's Day and just watch it. It's like, oh, they're, gonna, they're, they're playing hockey where? Notre Dame Stadium? What? Oh, I got to see that. I love it. You know, I went to the one that was here at Nationals Park. It was great. I love that stuff. But I do worry that it's kind of losing its luster a little bit because they've had enough of these now. And a lot of teams have played in more than one. And there's only so many interesting locations you can do it in. So if it was me, 
I would maybe hold off on doing the Field of Dreams again for a little while. Maybe make it a regular part of the rotation, like every five years or something like that. But I don't know I would do it every year. I would rather them try to find every year some other unconventional place to hold a baseball game. Maybe a game in the Rose Bowl. Maybe build a field outside Mount Rushmore. Maybe the National Mall in D.C. and then the Nats could get to play in it. I would love to see sort of baseball's version of the Winter Classic. And I think you can get people to tune in who aren't normally going to do that to watch a baseball game because not because of the teams that are playing, but because of the unusual environment for it. And I think they would have potential to work if they could come up with enough places to do it. I'm all for as many novelty games as possible. I liked when the Braves and Marlins played at Fort Bragg a few years ago. I don't know why they discontinued that one. I agree with you on Cubs Cardinals. I agree it's going to lose its luster a bit. It is kind of going to sort of feel like Jaws 3 or 4 when they keep doing it. I mean, nothing's going to top the first one. The game was perfect. The evening was perfect. But when you get ratings like that, there's just no way that they're not going to do it again. I'll give you a DC tie-in, Mark, to how they could do it with the Nats when they go there. Tie it in with the Iowa State Fair, which is a big political thing. Yeah, you got okay. so many, de- you know, put it in an election year uh, or I would say the odd numbered year preceding an election year, like 2023, right. when there's already a bunch of DC people out there, put the Nats there. What do you say? Okay. Yeah. Um, sure. You want to do the political connection and then you can have all the candidates out there shaking hands before the game. Sure. Yeah. I, regardless of whether it's that or anything else, going off topic a little bit here, but the Nats deserve to be in some kind of special game. They have never been in one of these since they got to town. They've never played internationally. You have games that have now been played in Japan, Australia, Mexico, Puerto Rico, London. They were a candidate for a London game and didn't get it. You know, the Williamsport games that they have now, along with the Little League World Series, the Field of Dreams, they haven't been involved in any of these yet. And I think it's about time. Now, the problem is the team isn't going to be as much of a draw for the next two seasons as they would have been the last few seasons, which is unfortunate. But I think they deserve to get something. Maybe it's a little payoff for the, hey, sorry you lost your chance after the World Series to have like the the victory lap year after that. How about a little something for them? I don't know what it would be, where it would be, but I would love for the Nats to get a chance to play in one of these special games. I think they've earned it. Build a stadium and an embassy. Put the Nats there. That's how you do it. <laughs> Put it outside the London Embassy. There we go. Okay. All right. Well, it's 2.30 a.m. Mark, you got to be right back at the ballpark. Uh, I, would, I was going to say the next day, but that would be a lie. It's the same no, day. Later today. Yep. Yeah. So uh, best of luck with the turnaround. And when we said to you guys back in February that we were going to be here for every single game, we're living up to it. Here we are, 2.30 a.m. for a game that was supposed to start at 7.05. For Mark, for Al, for Kevin Costner, this is Tim Shovers. We'll talk to you soon, everyone. Can you It was meant to be first game ever in Iowa. That's the best game ever played in Iowa. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing. But you know better, and your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. 
My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com